0: Welcome into the Monday Morning Cornerback. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Daryl Rideau. Daryl, we we had a, we had a fun one on Saturday. Um, down to the wire, in, in a game that did not look like it would go down to the wire, it absolutely did. I, I want your thoughts on the last three minutes of what was a game, and it, it stuck out to me, Arizona State. When you look at the ESPN GameCast, at one point they were fit not 99.8 percent chance to win that game take us through the last three minutes and, and what you saw what stood out to you you know eric welcome back pack 12 and it <laughs> couldn't have come
1: under a more spectacular finish when you think about what the trojans were up against with three minutes to go down found themselves down by 13 points having turned the ball over in the red zone at least twice, but four turnovers uh, going into the day. Things look very grim. And I was already starting to think about what is the narrative of this new campaign in 2020 going to be for the Trojans? But, you know, this is an offense that's resilient uh, behind Keaton Slovis as the quarterback. With that three minutes to go, no timeouts left. You know, it was fourth and 13, and that's where I'll pick things up. USC finds themselves down 27 to to, to 14 and uh, one of the Arizona State defensive linemen jumps off sides so what virtually becomes a free play you have Amon Ross St. Brown and Bru McCoy kind of to the left of of, of the uh, of the offense Keaton Slovis throws up what I felt was just a prayer a Hail Mary into the end zone and wouldn't you know two defenders kind of collide and brush themselves off and I don't know how Amin Ra gets a hand on that ball and it becomes what we call on the defensive side like a volleyball tip drill. He tips the ball up, it lands in the hands of Brew McCoy. And at that point, Eric, I just remember thinking as I was, as I was watching the game, wait a minute. You know, that, that's, that's one of those fortuitous bounces that, that could kind of spark a rally. But there was still a lot of football left to be had on the field. And you wondered if, if the Trojans were going to have enough time because still they needed an onside kick And lo and behold, they get that fortuitous bounce once again. You know, it's like, okay, are the Trojan gods, you know, kind of summoning in the Coliseum with no fans in in just the weird conditions of hell before the game? You know, in in all of the elements, the Trojans still found themselves in a position, no timeouts left, and it felt like a typical two-minute drill for this offense. But once again, I found – we found Keaton Slovis in this offense on fourth down, fourth and nine. You know, they had a manageable fourth down, but then there was a false start. So now they found themselves down fourth and nine. And lo and behold, all game long, the, the, uh, the Arizona Aztecs – or Sun Devils, rather, were giving, giving the Trojans a lot of fits playing what we call quarter-quarter halves, cover four, two high safeties. The corner corners were playing like a man's zone type of coverage, and it was really giving the Trojans fits, but they softened up their coverage. And this is where you see the maturation of Keaton Slovis as he drops back, he looks to his left and he holds the defense. He literally shifts a linebacker, a safety in the corner, over giving Drake London. I mean, not Drake London, I'm sorry, giving yeah, um, yeah,
0: Drake. Drake London, Drake London on that final play. There you go. Drake London, all of his six five,
1: six six 6'6", gives him just enough room where he hits the, the most perfect scene that one can throw over the ear hole of the defender. And I, I'm telling you, if there were fans in the stands, this is one of those games that, that's a rallying cry. You find yourself behind, and if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for a reason to, to, to rally behind this team, for that moment they felt like the cardiac kids because i, I don't know i mean i had dinner had two or three heart attacks <laughs> literally focusing on just the the euphoria of the comeback and with all that went wrong this team showed a poise that i am very pleased to say that they can build off of if you think about w- what they had to overcome going into this season
0: you know i i'd like to get your thoughts a little as a as a former player when we asked the coaches and, and the players, what is both the, the – all, all the unknowns going into this game, the, the 9 a.m. game, no fans in the stands. I mean, the, there were a, a few different things, no spring ball, uh, having to do kind of a, a different fall camp. This was not a season opener that a lot of these players were were going to be at least used to, if if not ready for. I mean, it's Arizona State to start the season. That's not a game that you get early at USC. It's it's non-conference. You know, it's it's a team that uh, you know a, a New Mexico, a Western Michigan, just just some ones that we've seen sort of recently. Uh, what was your, what was that kind of player speak, coach speak, you know, yeah, we'll play whenever we'll play whenever. How, how much of an impact do you think playing, I guess, specifically in front of an empty stadium with no fans in the stands? Uh, what, what kind of an impact do you think that really had on them? And also spinning it forward on trying to rally yourself at the end where you can't rely, especially in a home game on those fans to be there and to lift you up and, and to carry you over the finish line. It definitely was coach speak because
1: when you're recruited to go to the university of southern california and and you're on your recruiting trip a a part of the nostalgia of college football is the ambiance it's the fans in the stands it's the cheerleaders on the sideline it's the energy that that matriculates throughout that stadium and when you talk about going into your first game for of the season and there's no fans in the stands the the weather was gloomy it rained before the game, and the the energy is flat. You're trying to manufacture, but it feels like a weekend scrimmage during not, not getting ready for the fall season, but getting ready for spring season. It felt like a spring scrimmage game where your offense is against defense. But lo and behold, you got an opponent worthy of your attention. And to try to manufacture and simulate the tempo that is going to take the physicality that, that you're going to experience on the field when this whole pan, the social pandemic has changed your routine going into the game. There is no way that this Trojan team could have simulated mentally, physically, or even prepared for what they would have to overcome in order to manufacture enough emotion to compete against a team that, that came out to beat you. Okay, with Marvin Lewis and um, Antonio Pearson, Co, as co-defensive coordinators, Keenan Slovis in that offense had, had no way to prepare or understand what challenges would be presented. And I thought that the early struggles of trying to uh, create consistent flow was the difference. But as a player, when you think about going through those routines and those dry rehearsals, you're flat. You know, you're, you're looking into the stands, hoping that somebody is in there that's going to give you a little bit of that juice, that home field advantage. And when you don't have it and you really have to summon the discipline of, of, uh, of your inner competition, that's when you start to turn to your teammates and you start to get juice from them. That's where the sideline has to come alive. And, and Eric, late in the game, that's what we noticed. We saw guys dialed in. They forgot about those elements. They forgot about the fact that the stands were flat, that there was no one there paying attention. And they noticed that the opponent on the other side was there to, de- to, to defeat them. And and they turned to one another. Within the huddle, clap, uh, clamor. You started to hear guys talk, communicate. Energy started to grow from the sideline and, and, and then it transferred onto the field. And that energy is what they're gonna have to use all season long if this global pandemic, this COVID protocol prevents fans from being in the stands moving forward. So for any coach that tells you we'll play anywhere, they didn't sign up to play in empty stands. They signed up to play big time college football amongst 80, 90, 100,000 fans. And they were cheated that opportunity this week. And it almost cost them a victory.
0: I'm curious about your thought about the the new USC defense. This is the first time that we've really been able to see it. You know, they they had the one uh, spring ball practice. Fall camp is closed to to anybody uh, to go see it. What stood out to you in terms of the the differences? Obviously, you know the alignments, how guys were going to be used. It's it's moving from Clancy Pendergast to Todd Orlando. So. Clearly that there's a lot of, of new stuff. Uh, you know, Todd Orlando likes to, he likes to move guys around. He likes to bring pressure from, from different places. And what we heard from the players is, is that this is kind of one of those exciting defenses where you kind of never know what's coming and, or where it's coming from. Uh, I, I guess I'd like to hear your overall take on what you saw from it, what stood out from you in terms of the change From last year to this year and then how they functioned in that defense did did they play well I mean this was an Arizona State offense that brought back a quarterback in in Jaden Daniels who people have as as if not the best quarterback in the Pac-12 certainly right there with Keaton Slovis you know one one, two uh, those guys and they didn't put up a, a ton of yards but they found some success. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Found, found a little success, certainly on the ground uh, against this USC defense. So, so your overall take in, in kind of what you saw um, and, and, and how they yes. played.
1: Okay, and and I was curious because this was my first opportunity and experience of really seeing what was going to be the difference b- between Todd Orlando's version of the USC defense going in 2020 versus what we had seen previously in the past. And this defense featured a three-four, three down linemen with Marlon uh, Pelotu in the middle, and and three and four linebackers. The difference for me was how they how this all, uh, defense will be using Drake Jackson. Um man, I'm I'm a little confused. Okay, I know there's two. Okay. So so he is what I would perceive to be a Leo, which is the position for, for those of you USC fans from from the past, a Willie McGinnis was a Leo. He's an outside flex linebacker that rushes the end, but drops back in coverage. The way that USC intends on using Drake Jackson is along those lines. And with, with, um, <clears throat> with the interior defensive uh, uh, linebackers really kind of over the A gaps in between the guard and tackles, this defense is designed to put pressure and to be sound from the inside out where I think that they're going to have strength and success is with this formation, because they have guys moving around interchangeably, it's going to be very difficult for offenses to understand where the pressure is coming from here. But, but the one area where they found themselves at, at, uh, in trouble in this game is when Arizona State bunched up. And now you're asking the secondary to plug gaps. A few times this defense found themselves very sound and, and, and they were ahead of the arts, meaning that they put, they put Arizona State in obvious third down situations. But when Arizona State started to bunch the formation and now force the secondary to come into the box and be accountable for the run gap fits, that's where I thought that this defense kind of fell apart a little bit. But they bent, they didn't break. And, and what I mean by that is they made in-game adjustments and they were able to shore up some areas and apply pressure where pressure was needed. So this is the defense that's gonna play a lot of man coverage behind. They're gonna rely heavily upon those corners, those very talented corners with Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin, and then bringing in Isaac Taylor Stewart as a reserve corner. But they're gonna really feature heavily man-to-man coverage and really try to shore up things inside the box. This is the defense that has the potential of really causing havoc and because of the experience of the secondary, I, I think that this is a defense that can create a lot of turnovers. I like the hand-to-hand combat where, where I thought this defense kind of fell apart was not only just the run gap bits, but the conditioning. I, I thought the temple of the game when Arizona state started to speed them up, speed this defense up, that's where you start to notice guys get a little bit of winded and then primarily it, it has to do with not having a total off season. So conditioning uh, will play a factor this season early on in the first three, three uh, games as the defense and this team gathers their sea legs. But, but overall, I was actually impressed. I was impressed with, with the, the personnel on the field, how, how well they communicated. And when they made a mistake, it wasn't a catastrophic mistake. Yes, they, they allowed for a, a screen to, to, to go the distance. But for the most part, when they made mistakes, they were able to adjust on the run but it is gonna take time for Jackson to get used to not putting his hand on the ground, but but playing, you know, standing up and moving around and causing havoc coming off the edge. Once I think he gets comfortable and you start to apply that pressure and the offense has to account for his presence. I think that's when you're gonna start to notice um, the pressure from inside really take, um, take effect. And, and it's going to get this defense off the field three and out on multiple occasions. But when you're up against an offense, as prolific as Arizona state's offense has the potential of being, you're lucky to have scathed away with, with the damage that was done.
0: I, I wanted to, I'm, I'm glad you got into Drake a little bit. Cause he's a guy I wanted to ask about. He finished, That game with with three total tackles, that's one solo tackle, two assists. I I vividly remember one play he had. It was either a a swing or a screen out to the side where he's getting blocked and he single-handedly brings a guy down uh, out in open space, and it looked like he might have shaken the tackle and and Drake's able to just grab onto him and and pull him to the ground. It's one of those plays where – you, you remember what he can bring. But again, when you're looking at it and, and the expectations coming in of Drake Jackson had that season he had last year, boy, he's going to take his game to an, another level because this looks like a defense where you are specifically finding a, a role for him because that that's yes. the big change. He's the big change from it. You see that as be, th- this kind of being the, the first... Check of something that's going to work, or is this something where after seeing that game, maybe you rethink this and and get him in another spot?
1: It is an experiment, and with any experiment, you got to give it time to season. You got to give him a chance to kind of figure out his groove. What is going to be his his move, his first move, his dip and rip move, and then his counter move? Will it be a spin? But the way that. Uh, t- t- Todd Orlando chooses to use Drake. He's going to move him around, just like we're seeing with the corners, a boundary side corner and a wide side corner. That means that these corners are flipping sides. No one is going to be a predominantly left corner and a predominantly right corner. The same thing can be said about Drake Jackson. He's going to be moving around. But but Eric, uh, athletes are creatures of habit. Athletes, who predominantly play one side of the field perhaps they're used to engaging with their left arm keeping their right arm free and so if, if you're looking at a defense um, and he's used to playing on the right side but now you flip him to the left side he may not be as dominant there so it's going to take him time to figure out how to overcome those um deficiencies and deficiencies often come with blind spots. When you're used to playing one side of the field, you get a sense of how teams are going to set you up. But with his presence on the field, he's always going to command a double team and he needs to embrace that double team and not relinquish to the fact that he's being double teamed, but find ways to beat those, those double teams with the counter move. If he does that, it softens up the middle for Marlon, Tui, uh, Pelotu, and, um, um, EA. Um, to have free gaps up the A-gap and the B-gap. If they can get pressure interior and Drake commands that double team the way that this defense will require of him, they have a chance to be successful. It's not going to always show up in the stat book and that's where his patience is going to have to be be <clears throat> at an all-time high. But if he recognizes that he is an integral part of this defense and that his presence on the field merely uh, satisfies the uh, the requirements by him commanding a double team and finding a way to beat that double team. He won't always make the play, but he will free up one-on-one matchups with the interior part of this defense that will allow for victories. But then you think about how will Isaiah Palomao and um, Talanoa Hufunga fit into that 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 role as the safeties. When they come into the box late, and we saw that in this game, because so much attention is being given to Drake Jackson, we see Hufunga come into the box as like the strong safety, an extra defender in the box, unaccounted for. Now the matchups, now you have more defenders rushing than 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 you can you can account for. Again, this is a defense that has to play selfless and really understand how their roles impact the player next to them. Once they become comfortable in that role, I think we're going to see more production. But this is a defense that is very capable of applying pressure without blitzing. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take those one-on-one matchups. We didn't see a lot of that. And I thought a tra- um, conditioning played a major role. It's one thing to do w- uh, wind sprints and gassers. It's another thing to get revved up and, and have an offense attacking you and now having to mentally think about what your next step is, a- as well as catch your breath in between. So this was one of those games that they stole the victory out of the jaws of defeat. They cannot afford to find themselves in a hole as such uh, going into next week if they're going to make a run at the Pac-12 South.
0: Daryl, I, I want to let you talk defensive backs. Uh, th- this Arizona State team, again, I mentioned, brings in a quarterback in Jaden Daniels that people had very, very high hopes for. If you take out – you mentioned that that quick uh, screen, that that little pass goes 55 yards after – Uh, The the running back makes makes a few guys miss. Uh, You're you're looking at about 80 yards of of passing outside of that. And I the the things that stand out to me, uh, you had a a couple flags on Chris Steele, but I think that, you know, when when he turns in that kind of performance, you know, maybe you take that sort of aggressive play over a guy you know, who, who's given up big completions, but he ends up with two pass breakups. Isaiah, Isaiah Polamau had a, a couple memorable pass breakups. Elijah Griffin got one too. Boy, it, it felt like uh, against an offense that has a, a lot of very young wide receivers. This was not right. an offense that brought back a, a lot of big time veteran guys. That being said, it sure felt like that, that pass defense and that cornerback safety play against the pass uh, t- turned up a few notches compared to maybe what we've seen in the past.
1: You know, uh,
0: coming off of a Laker
1: uh, NBA championship where you talk about wing players having long wingspans, these corners, um, Elijah Griffin, Chris Steele, are long-rangey so that they can cover more space than just what's around them. Their recovery time, their footwork. You love the fact that you have athletic corners that can match up with receivers 5'10 to what we saw, 6'5", 6'6", you know, in in a game and really try to hold their own. When you don't, as a safety, when you're in the middle of the field and you know you don't have to worry about your corners uh, giving up the deep ball or being competitive and you can focus kind of shoring up the middle of the field, that's what we saw in this game. We, we saw, and, and you talked about it, had it not been for Rashad White's uh, bubble screen or uh, quick screen that, that uh, resulted into that 55-yard touchdown, it made all the difference, all the difference. You, you hold a, a, a prolific quarterback like Jaden Daniels to under 100 yards uh, minus that play. I think he threw for 11 of 23 for 134 in a touchdown. But I tell you what, it was very, very impressive. And that's something you can build off of. But I also like what this, uh, this defense is doing um, opposite of, of, of Drake Jackson with the backside, number 31, Hunter Echols. They're using that position as interchangeable. We, we saw at times Hunter Echols there to give body and size. But we also saw the way that this defense chooses to use the third safety in Greg Johnson and Max Williams, how they're, they're not just saying that, look, when you come in the game, you're just a cover down um, safety or nickel. No, they're putting them in the box. They're blitzing them. We saw a lot of zone dog blitzes coming off the edge where Arizona State was not accounting for them to be um, you know, engaged in that matchup. So what the first thing that, that stands out to me about this defense is that guys seem to understand and are willing to accept roles. And you can build off of that. Again, it wasn't perfect. There's a lot of things that they do need to shore up. But I tell you what, they have a lot of pieces that they can build off of. And what I like about it is you're seeing more guys rotate. And so with that being said, with, with more players rotating, you're going to gain experience throughout the year. But so far, like I said, considering the fact that they stole the victory um, overall, this is a game that you build off of. You're not satisfied with the results, but you can certainly build off of it. And, and going into the next week, you now have, A sense of what you need to shore up, because you saw those live bullets, and you were able to, um, you were able to not only respond to the uh, the the competition, but also make plays when you needed to make plays to get off the field.
0: And then I want to flip over to the other side too, and not so much talk about uh, USC's offense, but how teams are going to match up with this passing attack. And this is something where USC, that they, they came out, they moved the ball a little bit, that there was kind of a lull. I, I think I remember Ke- Keaton Slovis started out something like 11 of 13, and then he was, you know, six for his next 13. So, so there, was a, there was a rough patch there. You look at his numbers overall, and certainly buoyed by the, the two touchdown passes right there at the end, but throws for 380 yards, uh, you've got two wide receivers that go over a hundred yards, or, or at least Alvin Ross St. Brown at a hundred yards. Drake London over. Tyler Vaughn's had seven catches. Brew McCoy had five catches. Spread the ball out to to running backs. How are teams going to attack them? And, and or or is this just an offense that is kind of you? You hope they're off. I mean, what, what are they going to see? How would you kind of throw things? at them to to try to slow it down because it seems like it seems like drake london is going to be able to do whatever he wants this year against whatever defense yeah, is
1: trying to I, I think drake, drake london has the potential of having an outstanding season in this offense okay as that hybrid slot receiver reminds me size wise of mike williams guy that i played with when you put him in in the um when you put him in the slot, he's too big for safeties and too fast for linebackers and corners just have no, no chance with him, okay? But what I noticed in, in that game with when you talk about Arizona State and what they bring to the table, their defensive coordinator, Marvin Lewis, tremendous uh, prodigy when it comes to uh, defensive schemes. And they came out and they ran cover four. They, they, they split the field into quarters, okay? Between the, 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 the sideline, and the numbers, the numbers in the hash belong to the the numbers, uh, the number between the number and the hash belongs to the safety. The numbers to the sideline belongs to the corner. And what we noticed was they draw back into zone coverage, the, the, the um, Arizona state defense, and they kept everything in front. This is an offense that wants to beat you with crossing routes and, and find pockets. And when you got a team that sit in pockets of zones, They're reading the eyes of of Keaton Slovis. They're going to sit there and wait for you to make a mistake. And what we saw was, I thought early in the game, Keaton Slovis, when he had success, it was because they were in the base coverage. But when they started to make their adjustments, I thought he got a little bit antsy, tried to get balls into flutter balls. Um, The ball wasn't spinning off of his hand the way that we've seen in in the past. Uh, Maybe some of that had to do with the weather or maybe some of it just had to do with the competition. But, but one thing that I did notice was if teams are going to sit back and play two, sa- uh, two safeties high and now uh, allow for those routes to cross and, there's in, and, um, and jump the routes in between, this is an offense that's going to have to counter that with more vertical seam routes, like we saw at the end of the game. Stretch the field vertical and then come horizontal underneath that. Early on, a lot of crossing routes, a lot of quick slants, and those, those routes, those windows started to, to, to close up on this, on this um, offense. This offense is going to only be as successful as the offensive line's um, <clears throat> success. When this offense is at its best, it's because the passing game is firing and, and they start to get tempo. Then the offensive line starts to fire off the line of scrimmage, which opens up running lanes. But when you ask them to be on their heels for three quarters of the game, this offensive line at the moment didn't seem to respond as well when they can be aggressive and take the fight to the defense. So I expect to see more of that going into next week. Two safety high shells really forcing Keaton Slovis to find his, um, his check down routes. And will he be patient enough to establish those check down routes, or will he look for those matchups that he thinks that he can perhaps um, have a 50-50 ball with his his, uh, receivers winning much of those battles? I think that if this offense is going to be successful, they're going to have to find a different way to get other players involved early in the game. And and that might be check down routes to the running backs, or it it may be curls, outs a ball's thrown in rhythm rather than looking for pockets of openings.
0: And then last thing, Daryl, I want to get you out on, they, they won that game. I mean, it's, it's probably not a game based on again, like we mentioned the trajectory of what it looked like with three minutes left. Uh. The, the difference in especially a season like this with how that can propel you, having won, not even just won the first game, but won it in that way. And then also having the experience of not playing in front of any fans. Now you know what it really feels like. They tried right. to mimic it with some of the scrimmages during during the fall I, I'm not going to buy for a second that a you know an intra-team scrimmage against yourself in the Coliseum is the same thing as having Arizona State across the sideline. Th- those are different things. But now you do have that experience under your belt of, of playing a Pac-12 team. Where do you see this game, I, I guess maybe how do you see this game impacting this team uh, moving forward?
1: Uh, again, w- we talked about for the last few years Clay Helton as a head coach has been under the hot seat. You know, there's been questions about his leadership, questions about his ability to prepare a team, get them motivated, okay? You go into a new season, you make tremendous amount of changes to your personnel. And there's a, there's a, there's a part of that where you require a buy-in, okay? A buy-in from your players, a commitment to the process. And when you find yourself down with less than three minutes, two touchdowns, 13 points with no timeouts, it requires a buy-in. And when you buy in and things go your way because you're just executing when other teams fall apart, okay? Just as such would happen in this game. That, That sense of belief, you see, it galvanizes the team. And a victory over Arizona State, a team that under normal circumstances, you would not wanna play on an opening game because it's a trap game for you. The, the, the Trojans find themselves believing, willing themselves to victory. You come down from 13 points in the fourth quarter, albeit you never want to find yourself in that situation again. But when you do, you can summon back to the things that you did well and the belief that you've established from this game. What it took for you to overcome those odds. You can rally behind that and the Trojans will have to rally behind that. But if you're Clay Helton, you just won your team over because now you can build off of this. You can build off of that belief and that's the best thing that you can ask for if you're trying to create this me against the world mentality where it's just us on the road. It, it, it's, it's like that movie, um, it's that movie 300. <laughs> you're, you're virtually traveling with nobody to support you. It's just you and your team. That is what it's going to take to overcome all of these odds because each week is gonna present a different adversity a challenge, no fans in the stands, it's gonna feel flat. What is it gonna take for you to come out sharp and crisp? What is it gonna take for you to stay in the moment? And when you when you look back to the last three minutes of this game and what it took for USC to summon a victory, the Trojans, they're going to have to rely heavily upon everything that it took, all that energy about commitment to all three phases of the game. And as cliche as that may sound, you wanna build off of those cliches because right now you have to try to manufacture ways to keep the attention span of your players when they're going in week in and week out and, and they're not. there's nothing for them to get excited about except for trying to win a game. That is the most difficult element to ever be in because it's not natural for a player who was recruited and looked up in the stands and saw 70, 80,000 fans and said, this is why I wanna come and play college football. When you don't have that, you really do have to rely on the the details and Clay Helton is going to have to go back and clean up those details with his coaching staff. But as a player, you're going to remember this game and you're going to remember how you felt with your teammates celebrating because that's all you have.
0: Yeah. And now USC is going to move forward. They've got a a road trip out to Arizona and it's going to be Arizona's first game. Their, their, their season opener uh, was supposed to be against Utah that game was canceled. So Arizona does not have the experience yet uh, of playing in this. So, so they're going to get sort of hit by a, a USC team, hopefully, that, again, like you said, can take this momentum, carry this momentum, and and take it into a game uh, against an Arizona team that, ha- you know, frankly, has a lot of questions uh, everywhere. And, and we mentioned how big this Arizona State win was uh, just for for where you are now in, in terms of being one and zero and really in control of that Pac-12 South compared to where Arizona State is now and and really needing to make up two games because of the tiebreaker right. against right. USC. So so I think that's a big thing, and, and we'll see how USC can carry that momentum uh, against Arizona. But uh, I, I appreciate it. Daryl. Th- thanks for uh, coming on and talking a, a little. USC, Arizona State, a uh, big comeback season opening win, and our first look at, at that USC defense.
1: Eric, it's therapeutic for all of us. We needed the season for the Pac-12 to start. Now let's rally behind it. You know, this is an exciting time, exciting season, and, and let's ride the wave with these Trojans.
0: Absolutely. So for, for Daryl Rideau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC Monday Morning Cornerback.